Here in Ross Marlin. One, six, seven, six. Tim Van Wright Oven, who hadn't won a match on the ATP Tour until this week. Welcome back, everyone, to the Love Means Nothing podcast, episode six, I believe. Um, we're back. French Open has wrapped up. We recapped that. The grass season is underway. The Brits are doing well, per usual, on the grass. And it's exciting times just coming up to Wimbledon. So, Drew and I are here to kind of talk to you guys about the grass season so far. Drew, how's it going? Uh, it's going really well. I will say from a fan perspective, when you get into that mode of it, it's a major and you're watching a major and it's one tournament that's going on, it's all very linear and there's one thing to follow. So when you get back into the ATP and WTA tours and you're changing into a grass court season, you've got a lot of tournaments uh, that you kind of have to follow and then you obviously have to follow the Challenger Tour. So um, I guess my brain was a little scattered, you know, coming out of Roland Garros, you're focusing on one thing and then you have to pay attention to, you know, all these tournaments, Netherlands, Germany, Britain, the Challenger that was going on, the 125 Challenger. But um, but yeah, no, it's just, it's just great to get back. I love this. And then, you know, you can go from obviously Nadal winning the French Open to our first topic, which is a guy from the Challenger Tour, you know, winning an ATP event. So that's kind of my thoughts, I guess, coming into the grass season. Yeah, and no, I totally know what you mean. There's just a lot of tournaments going on. You actually forget which tournaments are going on and what they're called. I actually, to get my scores, I usually just Google the tournament and then kind of look through what's going on with all of the matches. And I actually forgot what the Netherlands tournament was called or the name of the city it was in because it was, it was a really weird name. I think it's the Herken, Hertenbosch Open or something. I don't know. I, yeah. I honestly, we shouldn't even try. But Yeah, but there you go. But yeah, it took me a while to find the results of that tournament sometimes because I'm used to just Googling it and I had to Google Netherlands tennis tournament name. <laughs> well, I did. The one tournament I did know was the Boss Open because Mateo was the favorite, also favorite, uh, sponsored by Boss. So I did know, remember that one, but... Yes, I agree. The other ones were tough, where it's like, when you're in that mode of, of every, you know there's a lot of tournaments, you kind of mentally have in your mind all the locations and all the names, so, yeah. Right, variety, you got men's, women's, a variety of levels of tournaments, so it was a great week, great week for the tour, but should we jump into our first segment, Drew? Yeah, let's, let's jump into the first segment. Out of nowhere, and I, actually, I don't want to say out of nowhere, because... Timmy Van Rithjeven, and I think I'm pronouncing his name correctly, Vid. I don't know. Correct me if you think I'm wrong, but Van Rithjeven. We're going to call him Timmy for the, for the podcast. Timmy. Um, well, we could call him T. T. It's T. Let's go with Timmy. <laughs> Let's go with Timmy. So, so, so not a completely unknown player, and I think I'm going to just highlight one thing, okay, about this, and this is more about tennis journalism in general and kind of what I guess our podcast is trying to do because I would say we're true fans of the sport. You saw a guy, uh, Ben Rothenberg, he's a New York Times tennis journalist. He tweeted after the tournament that I had never heard of this guy in my entire life. And he's like the number one tennis journalist with like 500,000 followers on Twitter. And I'm like, yeah, like I knew who Tim Van Rithjeven was. He was doing well on Challenger Tour. So that's a little bit unfortunate. I think that's just like kind of a sidebar um, that, you know, we follow podcasts like us, we follow the Challenger Tour, but just an incredible performance from him. You see a guy who's from the Netherlands, gets a wild card in the tournament, has never beaten a top 10 player. He's gotten one ATP win in his entire career. He's never won a challenger event, but he had been doing very well recently, which is why I think a lot of people were like, uh, have their eyes on him uh, to uh, this tournament. But uh, he kind of worked his way through the draw, built his confidence. And when you get a wild card, I feel like when you get one win, that kind of builds your confidence up to the point where you not nothing to lose, but you've done what you needed to do in the tournament and you're playing with house money. And he kind of had that um, growth in his game throughout the tournament, got more confident with his slice, with his forehand, and was just feeling like he could beat anyone. I mean, when he beat Felix, I think that was the moment when he thought, oh, wow, I can literally play with anyone on the tour. I mean, the, the win against Fritz was incredible. Then beating then being Felix and then destroying Medvedev uh, in, in the finals. But I think the thing that this you can take away from this is to say this is the kind of level that 
is on the challenger tour and the potential that is on the challenger tour. So if you're a, you know, if you're a tennis fan out there and there's a challenger event near you or a futures event near you, go support them, go support them because these guys are really, really struggling. I mean, they're really, really struggling to make, make ends meet and to uh, kind of pay for their lifestyles uh, as a tennis player. And they don't have access to the same, you know, training, recovery, um, travel, luxury that a lot of the people on the ATP tour do. And it makes you think like if they had those resources, what level they could play at. And, and you saw that from Timmy today, we saw he got a wild card into Wimbledon. So hopefully it's just uh, smooth sailing from him. And this is his kind of breakthrough, like we saw with another Dutch player um, last year at the US Open, Botik van de Zanschler. So just great to see a great story. And, you know, you say it's very unexpected, but at the same time, if you watch these challenger level events, the level is there. It's just the consistency that's not. The crazy thing about Timmy was that he hasn't played an ATP match since 2016 at Winston-Salem. And he didn't even get a win there. His first ATP win was actually at this tournament, if I'm not mistaken. So he was on the Challenger Tour for six years, grinding away, finally got his opportunity in the Netherlands and really took advantage of it. And that's what you really love to see because, Drew, as you mentioned, the Challenger Tour level is extremely high. And we both know that. Uh, everyone in the tennis world knows that even playing at that level is remarkable, but what sometimes doesn't translate is that level into the pros. And yeah, I agree with you. There are guys, some guys that are playing at a top hundred, top 50 level that are playing challengers, but also you see some guys who are really dominating the challenger tour come up and they're not having the success translate, you know, like, like a guy like Jack Draper, you're seeing the success translate, but there's other guys where that's not really the case. So it was really nice to see that he got an opportunity here um, at this 250. And it's great to see that they gave him a wild card into Wimbledon as well. You'd expect the LTA to just throw another no-name Brit in um, for the wild cards. But it's nice to see that they kind of really acknowledge what Timmy did um, over in the Netherlands this week and are rewarding him for that. Yeah, it just wouldn't have been right, I think, for him to be playing qualifying. And the other point I'll make about that is that I think when the original decision came out about points not being available at Wimbledon, in my head as a fan who's followed the sport and knows the pageantry, the tradition that the name of Wimbledon and the event holds itself, I wasn't necessarily too, I guess, concerned or worried. But as we get closer to the event and you hear, oh, Tim has a wild card into Wimbledon, unfortunately, he's not going to be able to continue that momentum in terms of his ranking points, you know? So that's, that's something that I think maybe as tennis fans, we're, we're making a big deal out of, but we're not highlighting. But the closer we get to the event, the deeper we get into the event, the more stark and obvious it's going to be that, that Wimbledon has no points. But on the other hand, when it comes to prize money for him, I mean, this is going to be just such a boost for his career. He's going to be able to invest in whatever he wants, whether that's a you know, nutritionist, a mental coach, trainer. Um, he won 100000 uh, for winning that, that tournament, $100,000. He's going to get $60,000 guaranteed, even if he loses first round um, of Wimbledon. Before this event, his total prize money for his entire career was $200,000. So he's already increased that by almost 50% um, just in these two tournaments. Um, so, uh, you know, as you can see, the prize money, the prize money sometimes can matter even more uh, as the ranking points as well. But disappointing that ranking points won't be all the, on the table for Timmy and every other player that gets gets into Wimbledon. Yeah, I think it's interesting you mentioned that. I think we're going to talk about it a little bit later. But, you know, we see a lot of people mostly highlighting that people like Denis Shapovalov and, <clears throat> excuse me, Matteo Berrettini are going to drop out of the top 20 likely after Wimbledon. But it really doesn't affect them as much as, much as it does guys like Timmy who are kind of getting these breakthroughs and these points, if he does win a round or two at Wimbledon, would be really big for him. So I'm hoping that the USTA acknowledges that and maybe we'll give him a wild card come Cincinnati, or maybe that's a smaller event, but come the US Open or tournaments around that time. I'm hoping that his success is realized as we move into the US Open swing and tournaments down the line. Yeah, I mean, what are your thoughts on his game? Do you think that this is a guy who could sustain the level of being on the ATP tour, a top 50, top 60 kind of level that you see, or 
do you think it's kind of be a flash in the pan, you know, one glorious week in the Netherlands that uh, will not be recreated? Because even Medvedev, after he beat Medvedev, said if he continues to play like this, this is guy is going to be a top 10. But Medvedev knows he's been on the Challenger Tour. He said the tennis life is not easy. Uh, there's always a but. He's going to have opportunities, but we can't predict the future. So uh, I don't know what your thoughts are on that, but kind of some prescient comments there from Medvedev yeah. highlighting how tough the life is. Yeah, no, definitely. It's extremely tough to be out on the Challenger Tour, especially where you're not kind of getting that treatment you are on the ATP Tour. But I, I think from what I saw this week, it really looks like he will be able to, if he is able to sustain that level, I think it'll be – really push him up the ranking. And given the fact that he was able to do it for uh, one week, beating so many of the top players uh, and now having access to a little more money maybe, and maybe some more sponsorships, I'm sure the Netherlands does a fine job of getting him money, but I think it's really a big thing for him. And I think the level looked like he could sustain a top 50, top hundred level. And I think he'll keep pushing and I think he'll get there. And I'll say just one more thing. He's, 25 years old yeah he's had the experience of playing matches at almost every level um you know maybe not the grand slams uh and stuff like that but he's played on the tour for a while he has a lot of experience his body is ready for what is to come and i think he's well equipped to play at wimbledon play at these larger events i don't think he's going to be someone who's maybe a teenager who would win an event and then kind of fade away and really get nervous in the spotlight. I think he's going to, you know, take it by the reins and do some good stuff in the future. Yeah. Every time that he was faced with a question, he had the answer and he stared these guys like Felix and Medvedev down the gauntlet. And you saw him in his eyes that he believed that he belonged there. It wasn't just winning, you know, winning one match. That's in any tournament, that's impressive when you can string along wins, but even more impressive when it's a wild card into a 250 that you don't know when you're going to get this chance again. You know, there's a lot of pressure on you. It's not – it's like there's just – you have to get the points now when you can, and, and he was able to do that. So big things for Timmy, uh, big things for tennis. This is a great, this is a great story uh, uh, to see and, and another reminder of, of the Challenger Tour, the Future Tour, and the level that they can produce. Yeah, and I'll just say one more thing about just to give a people who people who don't maybe know about the Challenger Tour much just a sense of kind of what they those guys have to deal with versus what the guys who are in the top fifty, top hundred have to deal with. I was actually at the Cleveland Challenger. I know that I mentioned that on on the last pod or two pods ago, but um, I was talking to some of the guys there, some of the players, and then I was talking to Christian Harrison, um, who's I don't know what he's ranked, maybe three hundred around three hundred in the world though. Mm -hmm right now and a phenomenal tennis player you know amazing and I realized that when I was there this guy probably doesn't have a car to get around and you know get food and water if he needs so when I was going to the CVS or Starbucks I asked him if he needed any food and he's like oh thanks man appreciate it but I have a car this week wow so <laughs> the fact that these guys have to deal with not having proper transportation to get water and whatever else they need to play a tennis match is remarkable uh, for the level that they're playing. Yeah, no question. Christian Harrison made a final, I think, this year in Savannah, Georgia, lost to Jack Sock uh, in the final. But those are the names, you know, uh, Christian Harrison. Jason Kubler just went on a huge run two weeks, won a tournament, made the finals. Alexander Kovacevic. Uh, these, are, these are names. These are guys who are, who are good at tennis and worth uh, paying attention to as well. That kind of wraps it up uh, for talking about Timmy and kind of the big success that he's had this week. And now we're going to move over, talk about the happenings over in Halle with Matteo Berrettini. Oh, wait. No, he won Stuttgart. This is the Halle is currently happening. <laughs> See, okay, we're going to keep that in because that just shows another uh, little bit of confusion there. German tournament, I realized that that was going on last week in Stuttgart. Uh, Matteo won. Good catch, Vid. Uh, but it was Stuttgart that Matteo won the tournament. So not Halle. Halle is occurring this week. Uh, I think Germany may have reached its quotient of grass court events. I don't know why they have so many tournaments there. Guys that are listening, Drew had Halle in the notes, but then, yeah. Oh, wait, is this mixed up? This is all mixed up, but we're going to talk about it. Berrettini won. Berrettini won Stuttgart. Yes. Extremely impressive, coming off an injury, and now we're in Halle right now, but he's not playing Halle. 
Right, we're talking about Stuttgart in the segment. Okay. Yes, we're, we're talk talking about, about Stuttgart. We're recapping Stuttgart. We will have a Halle preview. Don't worry, the HP 500 and Halle will be covered on the pod. So. <laughs> okay, Stuttgart, um, my takeaways, extremely impressive that Berrettini won it. I did not think that he would be able to come off an injury like that, a surgery for, on his hand, and come back and win the first tournament he plays. Grass is maybe a surface that favors him, but I thought it was impressive what he was able to do. And he struggled a little bit against Radu Albot in the first round, taking it to three sets. But really after that, he was kind of in cruise control and Murray gave him some trouble. Uh, but um, I, thought he, I thought he had it in the bag pretty much the entire way. Your thoughts, Drew? Um, yeah, no, we've talked about this on the podcast before. When you're coming back from an injury or something or a long layoff, First round's always going to be tough. literally doesn't matter. You could have Vid standing on the other side of the court, and Mateo would probably be a little nervous. Um, but super impressive to come through that. The hand injury, I mean, that's integral to your tennis stroke. Anything hand, wrist, arm is just something that it's – because you're losing your rhythm and losing your confidence. And Berrettini's game is just built for the grass. I mean, massive serve, massive forehand. He can neutralize the – you know, the ball with his backhand slice as well. Um, came through a three-setter in his first round, three-setter in his second round, beat the home favorite Ote in the semis, and then a great win against uh, Murray in the finals. I know that Murray was a little bit uh, a little bit injured, a little bit hurt kind of towards the end of that, but uh, just the fact that he's coming off an injury to win a title, I think it blew my expectations um, out of the water. The one stat I'm going to – bring up here a statistic from uh, the match against Murray. And this just shows you how big his first service, because Murray is one of the, basically one of the, in my opinion, one of the best returners in the history of the game, one of the best returners on tour, is that in the entire match, after Berrettini made a first serve, he hit a backhand twice on his first shot after the first serve. So he's basically able to hit a first serve. And if he hits a first serve, he's going to be hitting a forehand. And he's going to be immediately putting pressure on you into the, you know, zone four, zone three, in coming into the net um, and not having a chance. And honestly, in the finals, you saw Murray get so frustrated because Bertine would just ace him, ace him, ace him, hit a forehand winner. And Murray was literally throwing his racket, not because Murray was playing badly, but because he just felt so helpless that Mateo was taking the rackets out of his hand. Yeah, no, that's spot on. You don't you see guys usually – you don't see guys getting mad when the opponent is hitting aces. It's kind of right. like, right. You're just going to, you're going to give it to him. They just hit an amazing shot. There's literally nothing you can do. And Murray was just, I mean, Murray, he whines a lot, but that's why, that's why we love him. And um, he was getting extremely frustrated. And then it was unfortunate to see that it was kind of his body that took him out of the match in the end, but also interesting to see him play curious. what do you think about that? I thought, I thought that I thought Kyrgios was going to get Murray. I think he's has lost to him twice. I think their head-to-head was 0-2 going in for Andy. And I thought Kyrgios really had a shot at winning this match and kind of imploded per usual. Um, the one thing say I'll or? say about Nick Kyrgios is that he does have the talent to be one of the top five players. And everyone knows that. And we've said it. And he knows that. When he gets the most pissed off, is when he's actually giving 100% and he's trying and then he loses or he, things don't go his way. Because in his mind, if he's playing 100%, he's the best and no one can beat him. So the first set was kind of back and forth. You saw a couple of mental lapses from Kyrgios. And then once he lost the first set in which he was trying 100%, he had a basically a mental breakdown as per usual on the court. He saw the same thing against Sinner in Miami where he was trying. He tried to make up some excuse like, it's just so hard to find excuses at this point because you have challenges, you have electronic line calls. I, I, I think he claimed at this point that there was some racism coming from the fans. And look, obviously we condemn racism. You know, uh, that's, that's not something that you want to hear from the fans. But if you're a professional level tennis player, that's something that you, you take into account. You go to the umpire and you tell them what's happened in the crowd and you get that idiot ejected. You don't throw a temper tantrum, throw your racket, start yelling at the crowd and just self-implode. So basically at times in a tennis match, when you're losing, you need to look yourself in the mirror and say, okay, I'm going to buckle down right now and I'm going to try to come back. 
or I'm gonna try to find excuses and brush it off and try to pretend that this isn't my fault. And more often than not, Kyrgios chooses the latter. It was so disappointing for me to see because as we know, he's so talented and we he can produce shots that no one else can. But if he's not gonna accept that things are gonna go bad even when you're playing well, then he's never even when he's trying hard, he's never gonna reach uh, a level of being a being a champion. Yeah, that reminds me kind of the match with Eden Wells when he lost to Nadal. I mean, he was giving it his all, and he was getting so mad just because Nadal was outplaying him, and it was, and there was nothing he could blame it on. Um, he couldn't come off and say like, "Oh, I wasn't trying. I didn't want to play today." Things like that. He was giving it a hundred percent, and you know, I agree. Nick is one of the most talented players in the world, but it's 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 tough to keep saying that when he can't he can't string it together. I feel like one of the biggest components of being a top tennis player in the world, uh, top five, top 10, whatever that be, is being consistent, having the ability to be consistent. I'm sure it's obvious that Nick is better than most everyone, but there's also other guys who show, I mean, not even close to Nick's level, but who show flashes of brilliance in sets in matches and tournaments, but we just know that they're not consistent players and that's why we don't, talk about them as being at the top of the game like we do next. Yeah, I would say that it's a perfect paradigm to watch because Murray is that, like, kind of that guy. Solid, consistent, always there. Big, nice return, nice serve, good movement. And he's, like, this, the prototypical guy who will make his way through a grand slam and be able to be solid. And you saw that exactly happen with Kyrgios where he, he melts it down, but... I want to talk about Murray a little bit because I feel like me and you joke around kind of, which is not nice to Andy. Uh, The guy has a metal hip and he's out there on the tour, giving it his all still trying to fight for titles because me and you kind of say, he's just out there on the tour. He's enjoying his life and he wants to be a player and he's not really going for it. But yes, granted he didn't win the finals, but he had some really solid, impressive wins. And the level of tennis that he was playing was, I think it's the best I've seen since his hip surgery. Like, usually when he's been playing and getting wins, it's kind of been, he's been hitting the ball short. He's winning because consistency. But his backhand and forehand just looks so solid this week. I, I mean, he looked, and even in the final, he looked like he could have won if he didn't get injured. Yeah, no, I agree. I think he could have totally, he snuck that second set. Um, could have totally got that third if he wasn't, hurting I think it was, it was hip and his abdominals that were hurting him but yeah I, I don't think that we should we we, la- we make jokes that Andy wants too to much a little too much maybe we say he wants to be on the tour have fun but like you know it's it's I mean he is his level is still extremely high where do you think his level is just just in terms of slam like right now slams ranking winning you know, 500s, 250s. I, I don't think he can contend in a slam just because they're so long. Well, there's – so he's just – he's gotten to the top 50. I think it's a little tough when you're not able to be seated at a slam because uh, he could draw a guy who's amazing in the first round and he could have, like, a really hard draw. Where do I think his level is? I think I could – I wouldn't be surprised if he made the Wimbledon quarters because if you look at just this Wimbledon, like, for example, Br- Berrettini, I think, might be – my number one contender outside of Novak. Like, like that would be not my number one contender. He just went three sets with Berrettini. So I agree the five sets is the problem. That's the one variable. Uh, so I don't think I would consider him a contender, but I would put him in the top 10 grass court players in the world right now, probably. In terms of who's going to play Wimbledon, because you're taking out Medvedev and you're taking out Zverev, obviously they're not playing. But I think in terms of the Wimbledon contenders, if I was doing the odds, I would have him as a top 10 favorite. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess you're having to take people out because of the whole Russia. Right. Thing. So that, that kind of dices things up. But I think he's, I think he's at a level where even, even if he's playing Wimbledon and there's no one else there, if he has one long match, then it's going to just you know, make his body not ready for the next one. So let's say you know, he has a five-setter with someone who's – pretty solid and then is playing with some playing someone who he should you know routinely in three sets he may not just because his body's not physically there you know what I mean I would almost call Andy Murray kind of a grass court specialist like his game's perfect for the grass he can 
He's got great hands. He's got short. He's got a short backswing on his backhand. A variety on his serve. He's really good around the net with his hands. Um, and the other thing we saw is that he took the clay court season off. Right? He, he, he didn't play clay court. Right? Uh, he played one turn. He played Rome or Madrid. Okay, but he he took the clay court season off, and his goal was to peak for Wimbledon. So I don't think we've seen his peak level in terms of if you take the body out of it, which obviously you can't do that. Like that's not something you can just say you're not going to consider. If, if, and this was I, the one thing I'll say: this wasn't a hip injury in this recent tournament, Stuttgart. It was a I think an abdominal or something like that. He was he did pull out of Queens, which sucks, but. Yeah, I think he's he's been trying to peak for Wimbledon, and I mean, would you see? Would you be surprised if he made the semis? What would you would you be like? This is crazy! Like I couldn't believe this. Or would you be like, I kind of can see it coming? Because I would say yes, it'd be crazy because he's in the semis. But also, I'd be like, okay, like yeah, I could see it. I would be. I would say this is nuts. I would be going crazy if he's in the semis. I would not say I saw this from any angle. Okay, I think we disagree. I agree. He's he. I agree. He is a grass quarter. He's amazing on the grass. All the Brits are really good on the grass. But <clears throat> I just don't see him going that. You, we can't, like you said, we can't take out the body as a variable. And with that variable in, I think if he made the semis, it would be fucking. Dramatic. Where is Rafael Nadal's doctor when you need him? Get, <laughs> get that guy to Andy Murray. I mean, come on. That's just. Um, what about Bar- Barrettini? Where would you say he's? Would he was he your, one of your top favorites for Wimbledon based on what we've seen? One hundred percent. He's 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 my I would say favorite after Novak. Yeah, yeah, we we agree on that. We agree on that. Oh, the one thing I wanted to bring up that we can maybe add here is that Barrettini. I I had this in the notes, so I thought I'd maybe bring it up. Uh, and I want to talk about this maybe in general about tennis is. Based on social media activity, based on Instagram, Twitter, etc., it seems that Berrettini and Ayla Tomlanovic are no longer an item. Um, and this this has happened, I think, uh, maybe three, four weeks ago. Um, so I'm not sure what your thoughts are on that, and that specifically ending, and what are the implications sometimes for tennis players when these relationships end, where you're kind of in a routine, you have a relationship with someone, depending on how you feel about them or don't, um, how that can affect you um, on the court. Okay, I I, um, I will say that I think it can go either way. I think people can, you know, really take a turn for the worse and start losing first rounds and, you know, have it really – it'll spiral, you know, along with their relationship. Lloyd Harris. Yes, Lloyd Harris. But uh, I also think, on the other hand, that it could uplift – Free you up. Free him up. Um, and <clears throat> it'll get him going and – He'll have nothing to worry about, maybe, I guess we could say. And that'll help him, you know, stay focused on his tennis and go out and win some matches. And I think that's what is going to happen to him. Such a good player. I think he's going to have – I think it's going to be less of a burden on him, uh, whatever that means. And I think he'll be able to focus on his tennis, play great at Wimbledon, and then party after Wimbledon, meet some new chicks. Yeah, definitely definitely something that I think just depends on – whether you were the one who had ended it, they were the one who had ended it, et cetera. Um, for Isla, it looks like she's doing well. She seems like she's doing well. So maybe it was uh, good for both of them. But I do know anecdotally one thing that we've heard about, we're going to say he's an anonymous player in the top 25 that we've heard is that basically every he needs to be have a girlfriend at every tournament. And if the relationship's going well, then he's going to play great. If it's not, he's not. So that's 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 one thing. So again, very important for these players to keep their personal lives uh, kind of aligned and in check um, to perform on the tennis court 100%. Okay, I'm going to say one more thing about personal lives and tennis players. Do we think that <clears throat> the fact that Andy Murray, Federer, Nadal, Djokovic were all so focused on tennis all the time and you know never lapsed and we're 1,000% locked in their entire career is because I think all of them were married or had, like, long-term girls. They were dating when they were, like, 18, 19. And, and these kids who were, like, our age, like, in their early 20s, like, none of them have, you know, girlfriends. And Oh, except for one does, and that's probably been the most successful one. Vera? Daniel Medvedev. Oh, he's married, isn't he? Yeah, he's married. Yep. 
and yeah. he's been very he's very consistent he's very solid he seems well within himself he's he's comfortable in his own skin um and i think he's got a very seems like he loves his wife and she loves him a lot so um and if you think about it he's the only one i can you think of anyone else who's like a really serious like long term i i don't think there is karen kachinov okay i didn't know that but i don't know i wouldn't put him as the same category as like these top guys exactly sorry karen but honestly yeah, Karen. <laughs> That's funny. Karen was in the top ten, which is crazy. Did Ooh. you know that? Karen Kachanov was in the top ten in the rankings. I, I didn't know that one was this. This was like a long time ago. I don't, I don't know. But yeah, so maybe that was yeah. Maybe I don't know. Maybe the marriage has gone downhill. But um, yeah, it is an interesting topic. It's certainly an interesting topic. It's interesting because tennis, individual sport, everything that's going on in your life is going to affect you on the court. And the way to be the best tennis player is to not let any of that affect you. So, but it does. No matter what you're ranked in the world or if you're playing college tennis, junior tennis, anything. So definitely definitely something that's extremely interesting. Maybe we can get a psychologist on to talk about Maybe we can get a psychologist or like a tennis player on and talk about that a little bit. But, yeah. Dr. Jorge. We can get Dr. Jorge on. That's a bit of an impromptu segment there. Yeah. <laughs> this, that was like a segment in itself. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It up, I guess, for Holla, no, for Stuttgart and relationships on the tour, I guess. Yes. Exactly. <laughs> All right, everyone. So now we're going to get into everyone's favorite segment. And it's kind of ironic. We're coming off a little fun segment that, and a little impromptu fun segment. And now we're going into every, everyone's favorite segment trivia. So, yes, so today we have a, it's, I wouldn't call it necessarily trivia, we have a new game that we're going to introduce into the podcast and some trivia. Uh, we're going to start with the new game. It's I or Vid, in this case it will be me, Vid is going to be on the hot seat. Uh, we'll bring up a quote um, from someone in the tennis world has said something uh, this week. I'm going to give him a few options about who, um, who he thinks it is. And then I will reveal the answer, and then maybe we can have a little bit of discussion about the quote. So let's go with the first one. What, what, which, let, me just, let me just say, what a great game. Drew, Drew came up with this, didn't even run it by me, and it's an amazing game. I can just tell already. So let, let's, let's go. Yeah, I, unfortunately, the quotes are a little kind of melancholy, but um, here we go. Uh, so quote number one. This is, hot. this is tough. I mean, this is a very basic quote, but okay when my game is there i think i can compete, compete with anyone on the tour on grass was it jack draper yelena osipenko katie bolter or mackenzie mcdonald okay there's no way mackenzie mcdonald it's gonna be it's gonna i'm gonna narrow it down to one of the brits it's gonna be either katie bolter or jack draper and Hmm, I don't know. I just feel like Katie Bolter shouldn't be saying that. Uh, so I'm going to go Jack Draper. You are incorrect. It was Katie oh. Bolter. It was Katie oh. Bolter. So you almost got it. <laughs> yeah. Oh, gosh. Katie Bolter. Yeah. Yeah. I was, yeah, I was going to my, – my thinking my – think, my thinking was that she's just not good enough to say that. But right. Yes, exactly. You can't say you compete. You can't say you can compete with anyone on the tour when you're like never been in the top fifty, right? Yeah. What's she ranked? Uh, yeah. Good question. 30? I think she's. Uh, she's 127. Her career high is 82nd in the world. So okay. Uh, she, if you're interested to know, she said that after her win against Allison Risk in the Birmingham Classic. Uh, that was the quote. She plays Carolyn Garcia tomorrow at 7.55 a.m. So, I mean, I guess that's some big words to back up, but she could do it. Caroline Garcia is not, like, the best player in the world. Yeah, she can beat Caroline Garcia for sure. She's, I mean, she's um, probably good on grass. She's tall. I think she's feeling some confidence. Last week she came through qualifying and made the second round, lost to Tom Lonovich. Um, who did she just beat? Risk, right? Yeah, Risk, Risk. Good win. Really good win, actually. Great win. Great yeah. win. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That was her first win over a top 40 player, and now she can play with anyone on the tour, apparently. So, as we said, as we said, confidence can do wonders in this, in this sport. I think, yeah, so. I, think, I think she's going to take out Iga at Wimbledon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, center court. Yeah. 
Katie Gansika. Okay, so that was the first that was the first quotable. We don't have a name for that game yet, but I think we can can kind of figure it out as we go. Um, the second one, we're gonna go for the normal regular trivia. Hopefully the listeners can learn something from it. Um, an interesting question, I thought, because there's so many candidates, it makes you kind of think. So this is the trivia question, very simple, straightforward. Who has the most titles of active players other than the big four? And you can, and for a bonus point, if you can name the number two and number three. So actually try to name one through three. Um, if Wait. you get it exactly, I'll give you five points. If you get like someone in the top three in the wrong place, I'll give you two points. So most titles out of, besides the, t- the big three. Big four, including Murray. Big four, sorry. Um, active players. Active players. Might be an old guy. It's, it's hard. There's so many options, right? But initial, My initial thought is, is Zverev. I'm not going to lock that in as an answer, but that's my like, initial thought. Okay. Um, because he, w- he fucking wins everything. Um, is he an active player after that it- injury? Yeah, active player. Just to clarify, I mean, this is – for m- most people will be able to understand what that means. It's if you're currently competing on the tour – regardless of like injury status, you plan to come back and play. So not retired. So Rod Laver wouldn't qualify. <laughs> Does that make more sense now? Got it. Thanks. Thanks for that clarification. Um, I'll go Zverev. Zverev, and then do you want to see who you think is second and third? Yeah, second and third. I would go uh, Sissipas. And then throw an old guy in there who's who won a lot of titles. Fucking might be Casper, the guy who wins every fucking 250, right? <laughs> Casper. <laughs> Casper. If it makes you feel any better, it's not Casper. So. Yeah, I know, I know it's not Casper. Um, Richard Gasquet. Really good guess, honestly. Richard Gasquet, great guess. Uh, I think he's like maybe fifth, but uh, number one is Chilich with 20 titles. Number two is Verev with 19. Number three is a blast from the past or ancient memories. I don't know. It feels like a faded, uh, you know, faded memory, but Dominic team with 17. Mm, okay. Dominic team. I'm not mad. I didn't get Dominic team. The guy didn't even fuck. You would never think of that. Yeah. Exactly. Crossed my mind. Chilich crossed my mind. Yep. Gasquet, when I saw this uh, quite thing, I was like, Gasquet was one, probably one of the top first ones that came to my mind. Um, and then, like, Sangha just retired, so he's not active anymore. Um, but, yeah. Great. We got some trivia information. Vid uh, learned what an active player means, so that's great. Um, okay. Should we, go, should we go to our next quotable? Oh, you have another quote. Yeah, let's do it. Um, and this is kind of similar to quote to the first one. Um, a little variation, but... Uh, if I am feeling good on grass, I'm a top 10 or top five player in the world. Was it Karen Kachanov, Nick Kyrgios, Jack Draper, or Layla Fernandez? Um, okay, I know Layla Fernandez is like, her foot's broken, right? She's not playing tennis. Um, I'm going to go with just the way it's worded. It sounds like something Nick would say. Ding, 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 ding. No, yes. <laughs> Nick Kyrgios. Nick Kyrgios, yeah. yeah Stirring yeah. the pot, yeah. Um, we don't have to talk more. I think we kind of talked about Nick a little bit earlier, but he's 2-7 yeah. two, against the top 10 on grass, and he's not made the Wimbledon fourth round since 2016. So that's your top 10 guy on grass for you. Um, and the other thing I'll say, but the last thing I'll say about Nick is, can we get one tournament where at the end of the tournament, he doesn't have some lengthy Instagram statement about like some incident that happened about why he's either apologizing or blaming someone else or something. Every time I'm seeing these paragraphs on Instagram, it's like, I'm not reading that, bro. Like I'm not reading that. Like no one cares. Um, and no one cares about your comment that you're the top 10 in the world. We agree you have the talent to be probably the greatest of all time, but you got to show it in fucking matches. Yeah, that's that. <laughs> that was curious, like, I think yesterday or two days ago. Media. The media is always going after Curios. It's a disgrace. You're the, you're the media. <laughs> you're going after him. 
<laughs> yes, I, I'm going after for just throwing temper tantrums and on the court and just throwing his racket and just just being a fucking absolute douchebag. Whatever, mate. You're never gonna have as much money as I do. Fuck you, mate. Not necessarily true, but um, <laughs> also curious the way his girlfriend shops on fucking Instagram. You see her with those bags all the time, and he's like, "Oh, she said she she said we weren't going shopping today, but I guess we are." He's that guy's gonna be bankrupt before the end of the year. <laughs> okay. Uh, but shout out, shout out. It feels like that relationship has been helping him. He's at least able to get on the court and try his best. So. I think that's good. No, I agree. We forgot to mention that one in our relationship segment. Yeah, so shout out, shout out to Kiggs. Trying, I think he's trying to get his life on track as much as he can. To be totally honest, he just has these mental issues. But um, I do think he's trying. I do think he's trying. Yeah, so. no, I agree. I think he's trying his best. Um, yeah, that's it. That's it. That's it for trivia. Um, if you have a trivia question and you want it, you know, answered by Drew, and you have a good one, just just DM me personally on Instagram. Don't don't do it to the pod account because Drew might see it. So just send me a message and we'll we'll get your question and we'll give you a shout out on the pod. So um, feel free to send any questions you have my way or his way, whatever whoever you want to see answer. Okay, guys. So that was some as usual fun trivia and games, which we know everyone loves. Um, <laughs> let's move on to the next segment. You know, we know that. Tennis is played on three surfaces. Well, there's indoor, I guess there's some very, the carpet, but three basic surfaces, um, clay, grass, and hard. The grass court season, it's quite quick. A few weeks, quickly tournaments. Um, we do know that some of the biggest names in the game are not playing any of the lead-in tournaments for whatever their reason is. Iga, Carlos, Djokovic, Nadal, for their own reasons, all deciding not to play warm-up tournaments. This isn't necessarily a criticism of them. Uh, Djokovic has won the tournament multiple times um, without having any uh, lead in tournaments. Uh, Iga obviously just feels like she probably needs a break with all the tennis she's been playing. Uh, but my question is just from a fan's perspective, Vid, it, are we able to just lengthen this a little bit? The one thing that came to my mind was the fact that there's no 1,000 event on clay masters 1000 there where there's three for the clay court season obviously way more for the hard it is one of the three main surfaces and i'm just wondering if there's anything we can do to kind of lengthen it um because in my opinion it is too short it is too short you don't get that build up and that crescendo like you do for the friendship mm -hmm. i will say before i agree with you on the point that we need a grass court 1000 but the clay with three, it's just a lot. Too much, too much right? I think way too much. It's just like I'm watching these 1,000s, 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 and then these guys have to go play a Grand Slam after that. So I think three in the clay – I mean, you can still yeah. have those three, but put it somewhere else in the calendar. Don't you, have, forget, you forget you're watching 1,000 because it's every week. Ex exactly. Yeah, I forgot the Monte Carlo is a small draw 1,000. You forget it's in 1,000. And, yeah, you're, you're, you're watching just so much tennis, and it's all – 1,000 events. So that, I don't like that. I know that's not what we're talking about, but I thought I'd mention it. And with regards to whether they should have an 1,000, a master's event on grass, I think certainly they should. Um, it's, you know, it's a historic surface. I think they should, you know, give one of those top tier level tournaments other than Wimbledon um, a chance on grass where it should be played. I don't know. But just, I think there are nine masters, correct? I believe so, yeah. So I think, yeah, there's nine masters, three on clay, six on hard. We have Indian Wells, Miami's on hard, Toronto's on hard, Cincinnati's on hard, Paris is on hard, and Shanghai is on hard. Yeah, I Shanghai I don't think has been playing this, played this year, but yeah. There's, Shanghai. Yeah, yeah. So I was just going to say, sorry, sorry. I was going to say that the tournament I think they should replace with a grass court 1000 is Shanghai. Yes. I mean, the thing about the, we don't have to get into the China thing right now, but that's a huge market. I don't know if they would. I don't know if they'd replace. I wouldn't be against just adding. I, the thing about the, so the clay court, the issue I have is with the clay court is that the top players inevitably are not going to play all three. They're going to skip one and they're not going to be overlapping. So I feel like the point of the thousand events in general is to mimic the field you have for Grand Slam is have the best possible field. And when you have those three clay court events, it can sometimes water it down. And that's what, why I think we need a, a thousand grass court event is to see all these players in one draw. Because 
right now, I don't get me wrong, I love ATP 500s, but you're splitting it up between Halle and Queens Club, and you're not getting to see the sort of direct head-to-head how it would play out in a draw situation. And then I guess as tennis journalists, fans, podcasters, you can't discuss all these players being in the same draw and how you can see it happening. As we kind of got a clear picture going to the French Open, you could, you could, you know, harken back to results in Madrid. You could harken back to Monte Carlo and what happened. Uh, and you don't get that same narrative creation uh, on the grass. My solution, I guess, if you want to call it a solution, is just move the French Open back, like move the French Open back one week uh, and maybe like either eliminate one of those thousands or make it a 500 event. And then, um, and then basically add one week of the season, uh, right? The middle two weeks, the middle, the second week of the season could be this Holly Queens week. Then the third, you get the thousand event, and then you have the fourth, and then you have Wimbledon. So it's a solid, you know, month and a half, legitimate grass court season, not just a flash in the pan. Because the reason that the top players don't feel like it's worth it is because what's the what's the point of getting my feet wet with grass in an event that's not a thousand when we're going to be off the grass after Wimbledon, you know? Mm-hmm. That makes that makes sense. But I will say the, the 500, the fact that they have two 500s, I think, is good. Yes. Right now, I, I don't want to see – I don't want to see everyone stacked in a 500 draw. It, it also gives opportunities to other players as well, and we don't need to see everyone piled into a 500 draw. And maybe if there was – uh, Masters event, it would attract, you know, the top guys like Novak, Rafa, Iga on the women's side. But I think for me, I look at it in the fact that I think I agree one of those clay courts should be, you know, scrapped or make it a 500. But I think they should, you know, extend extend the grass season because what's on the back end of Wimbledon? After Wimbledon, it's just, it's just, it's just absolute carnage. It's a desert. It's, it's random ass. This is the, oh, this is the Casper Root Clay Court 250 season. Well, yeah. Yeah. Bastard, Bastard and Kitzbühel. And yeah. Some of the fucking worst tournaments on the calendar. So. No disrespect. No disrespect. Actually, we are going to disrespect a little, but yeah. I feel like man, every, every time we say, like, we'd, we'd look at the calendar, I'd love to be there. Kitzbühel? I don't know. I would rather be at my local club watching the 3.5 doubles. But <laughs> I, I will say, just in terms of, you know, going to see tournaments and stuff, I always really wanted to go to Europe and watch, you know, Queens, Wimbledon, and kind of whatever's going on right now. But, like, yeah. I, just, I just didn't get over there and just, like, I told some friends I'd do something with them on July 4th, so couldn't go. And I'm like, you know, maybe I'll go, you know, to Europe after July 4th. And I'm, like, looking at these tournaments. Like, I want, I was like, I want to go watch a tournament. So like, right. I think there's something in Berlin. Maybe I'll go there. But it's just not not the same as being there in June. And they can definitely extend the grass season through. Yeah. What's the point of those clay court tournaments after Wimbledon? Makes no sense. And I, I agree. So, like, the 500s, I love that. The splitting the 500s. You could do that the first week. Give the then do a week of two fifties, then do a thousand, then do a couple of weeks of two fifties, then do Wimbledon or something. You know, you could split it up where you'd still have the five hundreds wouldn't be watered down. You still get strong draws for the five hundreds as well. Yeah, and we want we want the summer to be packed with good tennis. That July right there, it seems like a, a, kind of a big break. Like give these guys. I understand the season's so intense and they need a break somewhere, but give them a break somewhere else. Don't give them a break in the middle of summer where. People will go, will go to watch these tournaments. People will take their kids on vacation, maybe go watch these events. Give them a break somewhere else in the year. And then well, the last thing I'll say with regards to this segment is I, the reason I said that the China 1000 should be eliminated is I take your point. You know, the money over there is probably huge. And the people, the Chinese fans are insane. I remember when we were there, you know, they would go crazy for Nadal, crazy for Safin and things like that. But... I think that they were just given that event because the finals was taken away from them. And now with the situation there, who knows when we're going to be able to go back there. So I say scrap them of the 1,000, make it a grass court event, change up the schedule in the summer. That's my take. I agree. But then you're – I think, honestly, what I my thought is that that whole indoor portion of the season after U.S. Open is – not not necessary, but that's where you should give them a break. Give these guys an actual off season. 
You know, you could go U.S. Open September, have a couple indoor events, do the Paris indoor thousand, then go straight into the, you could do the finals in October and then give them a legitimate two and a half months. That's my opinion. Make the season short, you know? Yeah, no, that's that's a fair point. Paris, I they should not take away the Paris. No, don't take away that. That's, that's yeah. the greatest tournaments on the calendar. Take away fucking the Vienna 500. Like, I don't need to see that. What about the Swiss indoors? Take it away. I don't need to see it. <laughs> <laughs> who's, that Swiss, who's that Swiss player that we thought was going to be? And also, the thing about the Challenger Tour, there's also guys who see have huge results, and then they disappear for, like, an entire two years. Who was the Swiss up-and-comer? Stricker. Dominic. What's going on with that guy? Like, he played – he lost to Max Cressy first round of um, Stuttgart. Okay, so he's in there still, kind of. But, yeah, I thought he would be ahead of Draper, but Draper is just taking everything. Draper's on another level. Yeah, I think that could lead us into our next segment. Are we doing the British wildcard season segment? Yeah, that's what we'll jump to next. Yes, let's jump to it. Now it's wildcard season for the Brits, rounding the turn here at Queen's and going into Wimbledon. And obviously the LTA is throwing – anyone and everyone with a British flag next to their name into the draw in some capacity, whether that's the main draw qualifying or wherever else they could go. But Drew, who are the names that are getting wild cards this year? In terms of Wimbledon or just in general? Yeah. yeah, In in general, Wimbledon, I think we saw. Yeah. So you're looking, you know, you're looking at obviously all the Brits, all the Brits, um, guys like Liam Brody, um, Paul Jubb. These are, you know, good players. Ryan Penniston just saw him uh, have a huge win today against Casper Ruud. Although I don't know if you could call that a huge win uh, considering the surface. But when it comes to the ladies singles, Katie Bolter, Katie Swan, um, Jody Barrage, and a couple of other uh, female British players, Sonic Kartal. Um, these, these players are getting their chance. They're getting their opportunity. Um, love to see it. And you just love to see the British just watching the match. Like today, I think it was, uh, yeah, I believe Paul Jubb, uh, amazing player, and just had a chance. The crowd was going crazy, ended up losing, but great experience for him. Liam Brody almost beat Marin Cilic yesterday in the first round. So, I mean, I know you say that they're throwing around wild cards to anyone with a British name, but these British players are uh, acquainting themselves pretty well uh, on these courts, and they're showing that they kind of deserve it. Yeah, they definitely deserve it. And they're clearly better on grass. Um, clearly. I've never seen grass courts. I didn't know a grass court specialist existed, honestly, in my life until I saw, like, Liam Brody play. <laughs> yeah, like, all, 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 these, all these Brits are so much better on the grass. And it's just true. Harriet Dart's better on the grass. Um, the other girl, Katie Bolter, is better on the grass. I, I don't know about Katie Swan. I don't never watched her play, really. But... Um, I will say the one thing I don't like about the Brits is during the clay season, all they do is complain about the clay and how they're like, we know we're not going to do good. Like, just don't say that. Just go play, and then you'll get your time on the grass. Um, I know that's backtracking a bit. But, yeah, I think the wild cards are justified, I would say. And there are guys and girls that you think are going to really break through. Like, I think think, – who's your top – give me one guy and one girl where you're like, these two British – this British guy, British girl are going to have a big grass court season. I mean, obviously I'd say Draper, but that's just the obvious answer, but I'm going to go with it. But yeah, I'll say Jack Draper. And then for the woman, um, I don't know. Um, Yeah. Like Katie Bolter, honestly, I like, look, I agree. She shouldn't be saying that she can compete with anyone, but at the same time, like, as a competitor, I like that belief. Like, if you're going to believe that, like, say it. Like, you shouldn't be saying it, but, like, say it. So I'll go with Katie Bolter. Thank you for that quote um, and that belief in yourself. Yeah. Uh, I think they, they, can do, uh, they can do a good job. That's, um, yeah, that's a good pick. I, I, I agree that I, from an from a analysis perspective, I, I don't think she should have said it. From a competitor perspective, I, I love it that she's saying it. Right. So it's just the lens you take on it is to whether you you know you like it or not. I was coming at at it from like an analysis perspective. I think that's just not insane, but you know you never know. 
Uh, for me, guys, 100% Jack Draper is so fucking good. Um, girls, going to have to go Harriet Harry Dart. Yeah, and by the way, I'm sorry I didn't mention her in the wild card thing because she's actually good enough not to necessarily need wild cards in all the tournaments. So shout out Harriet. Yep, shout out Harriet. And Harriet's kind of my pick to uh, make it big this year on the grass. She's had seven top 100 wins this year. I think she's ranked now just outside the top 100. Cracked it back in May, um, was 99 in the world, and now just outside. So I think she's has had not just a good – start to the grass but a good season throughout yeah and, she has been and now now doing well on the grass she's been peaking so, so she's yeah she's peaking she's doing well who 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 finishes farther in wimbledon who goes farther in wimbledon um emma radicanu or harriet dart i would i would love to see harriet go further that'd be kind of cool who do you think's gonna go for? also what does that mean like emma could lose first or second round so so if she loses, wait. Then are you asking me what it means? Who's going to go farther in Wimbledon? That's literally the question. Who do you think is going to go farther? Uh, <laughs> that's still not far, though. Going to the second round is not far. Yeah, but she, but she could still go. I, I I would say I think I think Emma's going to go farther. Yeah, Emma will make the third round. Harriet will lose in the second. I think you're underestimating. I, I disagree, just because you're underestimating the stress that Emma's going to have to deal with during Wimbledon. At what point does she just say, I lose all the time? Like, I'm just going to say there's no stress because it really doesn't even matter. Okay, I'm going to just give you my thoughts right here, okay? She <laughs> has been so stressed out and, like, has been clearly, and rightfully so, I'm not, like, shitting on her or anything, but rightfully so, been so overwhelmed is the word. She's been overwhelmed since, since the yeah. U.S. Open. Totally understandable. She's 19 years old, having to deal with all this stuff been overwhelmed, has not been able to execute on the court. On top of that, she's getting injured, right? That, mm -hmm. doesn't, that doesn't help. And we can talk about her injuries, yada, 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 but she is 19. Her body's not fully developed, and it does make sense why she's getting injured. Now coming around to the U.S. Open – or sorry, Wimbledon and then the U.S. Open with a ton of points to defend, her name is going to be thrown around even more than it has she been. She can't defend the Wimbledon points, let remember. Okay, yeah, she can't defend the Wimbledon points, and also she can't defend all the U.S. Open points. Right. Even if she won it, she would be losing points from the qualifying rounds. But I think the next month, two months, she's going to have to really get a good team around her and figuring, figure it out how to um, deal with all this stress and being overwhelmed because uh, this could be a tipping point for her. Do you think the, Brit the other British players are, like, friends with her still or, like, not really? Yeah, I don't know. Okay. Okay. Wait. I'm gonna highlight one more player who's got a. They seem like good people. I think they are. Yeah. I'm gonna. I'm gonna highlight one more player who got a wild card in the qualifying. 14 year old Mingi Shu. She's a British player. She's uh, 14 years old, and she received a wild card into qualifying. So I'm so excited to watch that. I have no idea how it's gonna play out with a 14 year old playing women, uh, women's qualifying, but that's great. And then let's talk about Penniston's win over Rude a little bit. Do you see any of that? No. Ryan Penniston. I didn't. I, I was looking at the score while it was going on, but I didn't see any of it. Casper was definitely on the golf course before Queens. Casper's going to be headed back to the golf course. <laughs> yeah, he's very <laughs> happy about it. So, yeah. uh, so it's I, not shocking. Anyone Casper played, I think I would say it they would have had a chance to beat him. Uh, so I wasn't too shocked by Ryan getting the win. But I do I the one bone to pick I have with Ryan what's his name? Penniston? Ryan Penniston. Like Tanasi Kokonakis, Ryan Penniston. Like Ryan that. Penniston. The one bone I have to pick with Ryan Penniston is that yeah. he, he limits his comments on Instagram. Wait, what? He's not even that famous and he limits his comments on Instagram. I was gonna go like I was gonna go from the podcast account and just like comment on one of his posts and say like, like congrats, congrats or something. I don't know something stupid. And he has like three thousand followers, so I'm like, oh my god, he might see it or whatever. Yeah, exactly. I go to comment and it's like comments are limited. I'm like, okay, weird. I go Does to Ryan Penniston have haters, and if so, why? That's I, not I, I go to another another post and it's like comments are limited. So I guess he's dealing with some haters out there and doesn't like that get that bad energy in his mind. Fair enough, but like also, why are you limiting comments? I don't know. Maybe he doesn't want some random podcasters being like, great job, Brian. He wants to focus on tennis. Maybe that. 
gonna spread the word of the pod. So yes. Yeah, he's a college player. But yeah, no, in terms of his match against Rude, um, yeah, I saw the draw and I saw lefty against Casper on grass. Casper hates grass. Uh Penniston was actually favored to win a set. So Casper winning 2-0 was like an underdog pick. So I saw the odds and I was like, the odd bakers had it correct. Like he's wasn't a huge underdog despite, you know, never really do. Actually, the Penniston has had some good wins this season. So he's he's beaten Draper, actually, which is crazy, on the grass. Penniston beat Draper on grass this season, and he's beaten Manorino and Yuri Vesely on grass. And he was playing Futures in 2020. So, yeah, I, I, that's impressive, honestly. Yeah, really impressive. I think when you have, like, a matchup where it's a Brit versus a Brit. An American, <laughs> make some excuses for Draper? Or? I'm going to make excuses for Draper because he's my man. So, okay. you know, when you have those kind of matchups, you're not going to get the best quality tennis out of um, either player or maybe someone who is at a higher level will get nervous um, because they're playing a fellow countryman. So maybe – that's, I'm, I didn't see the match. I have no idea what happened. I didn't even know the score. But I'm going to make that excuse for Jack Draper. Yeah, so Draper, I think we'll just wrap up talking about his huge win against Taylor Fritz. Um, I mean, I've never – like, you see Taylor Fritz lose, but you'd never see him perplex on the court where just the, returning amazing from Draper. His serve is – oh, my God. The guy is just – the guy is just built for grass court tennis. Just everything about him. It's backhand low over the net, redirects power. Um, that slice, sliding lefty serve, he can do everything with it. I'm looking at him as maybe potentially winning Queens, considering all the seeds are basically out. A lot of top, not all, but a lot of top seeds are out. I don't think – I was going to say the draw has really opened up there, and I think – I was thinking that Mateo would be able to get another title under his belt before going into Wimbledon, and I still think that. I still think I would favor him, but I, I – do agree that Jack could go very far and that'll give him a lot of confidence going into Wimbledon. And I think it wouldn't be crazy to see him in the round of 16 at Wimbledon. I can see him making like a run, like a legitimate run, like crowd going crazy, like center courts. I don't know. Holger type French open run. Yeah. What's his best result at a major? Jack Draper. I don't even know if he's honestly played a major. I'm sure he's won maybe a match. But um, yeah, they might have to rename Henman Hill to Draper something. I don't know. Or Jack. Draper's drop. Jack. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I don't know. We have to talk about Serena getting a wild card. Serena wild card. This came out of the blue, and we kind of were kind of jumping around here. We we're talking about wild card season with the Brits. Also, wildcard season, Serena Williams making her return out of the blue to professional tennis. She's going to play next week in the event doubles with Ons Jabur, and she'll be playing singles at Wimbledon out of nowhere. And my initial thought to this bid was, obviously, Iga's dominating. We love to see Iga dominating her opponents, but the women's game kind of needed a bit of a shot in the arm, you know, a little bit of a shot in the arm. I think this is exactly what uh, – Serena coming back provides, and I don't know how good she'll be able to do, but I can't wait to watch her. I can't wait to watch her as well, and I will say that I think I would like to see her go far just because of what it would mean for tennis and the women's game. I think it would be good to see her go far. If she kind of loses early, I think I'll pay a little – I think the the tennis community – will pay a little less attention to the women's draw. So I think having her in there will be good for, for the women's game. And hopefully she goes deep just for, for that reason, you know, for herself, if she wants to try and win another major, not necessarily like a huge Serena fan. Don't dislike her either, but I would like to see her do well. I want to see either Serena versus Halep, which would be her against Mortoglu, or Serena versus Iga. That'd be amazing. Iga actually commented on Serena's post. Welcome back to the tour or something like that. Or can't wait to have you because Iga has basically no competition right now. So I think she's getting kind of bored. So maybe she's thinking Serena would provide her some sort of a challenge. Who knows? I think that Iga is itching. Yes. Itching. Itching. Yeah. Because yeah. If, hypothetically, I, ideal situation for Iga 
Serena goes far. Iga obviously goes far. They play in the quarters or semis, and it's a big match, and Iga beats her. That'll just be another thing to check off the resume for Iga. I, I, so I think, again, me and you as tennis fans, we, we kind of get annoyed that Iga is not a, like a worldwide household name at this point, and Serena is, and you kind of need something monumental that the whole world pays attention to for to become a, a household name. And if Iga could, like if Serena made a dream run to the semis and Iga would be able to beat her, that would change Iga from tennis star to worldwide sports star. I hope so, because I think she's so disrespected for all that she's accomplished and this win streak. So I hope that happens for her. Last segment here, wrapping it up with, as usual, honorable mentions. Obviously, usually it'd be probably a guy like Penniston, but we already talked about that win. I'm going to go honorable mention to Monica Puig, retired from tennis, very sad. Actually, not, you know, not an honorable mention, but I wanted to mention her. 28 years old, injuries, succumbed to injuries, extremely talented player, gold medal for Puerto Rico. That's going to go down in history. No one's ever going to be able to take that away from her. And uh, I just remember that run, watching that Olympic title. Um, it was a great memory. So Monica Puig, unfortunately, you can't continue your tennis career, but um, it was short, and it, but it was sweet. So uh, congratulations on a really good career and really – Good luck for whatever holds uh, for you in the future. Very, very thoughtful, Drew. Um, my honorable mentions, I think you're going to like them. Obviously, this is an obvious one, but Beatrice Haddad Maya, first Brazilian player in 54 years to win a WTA title on grass. Obviously, obviously an honorable mention. And then my other one, Guy, I have a few, but I feel like we, we've already, I have Jack Draper in here. We've already talked about him. Yeah. Um, I have Harriet Dart in here. We've already talked about her. So my honorable mention for the guys is going to be Adrian, Adrian Manorino. Adrian. Okay, what did he do? Why does he need an honorable mention? What did Adrian Manorino do? Yeah. Alex Demonor, two and three. Okay. Brandon Nakashima. And then okay. lost to Medvedev, five and five. I think that's a great tournament for him. Yeah, solid, I guess. I think, yeah, I saw it, but I, think, I feel like honorable mentions, you got to go off the reservation a little bit more. But, yeah, <laughs> good. I thought, that was, I thought he did, had a good tournament. It was a good result for him. So oh, I, we, didn't do, we didn't do the who do you expect to do well and who do you expect to not do well in the grass court season. We didn't do that, but whatever. It's fine. We'll do it. Well, we, we can still do it. We still have the grass court season coming up, so we can just do that next time. Okay, yeah, for Wimbledon. We, I guess we could do that for Wimbledon. I wanted to just stake my claim to Sebastian Corda making a run. Oh, that was my guy. Okay, so that's it on the next pod. Preview it in the next pod, everyone. That's what we're talking about. Sebastian Corda is our guy. Right.